Well, over the, uh, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of, of Christian stewardship. Uh, God has given us the blessing of time, um, which we looked at a few weeks ago, the blessing of resources. And today we're going to focus a little bit on the blessing of, of finances, the blessing of finances, the things that God's given to us that we often say in church that we will give back a little bit as well. So our, our role as stewards on this earth is to use the resources, what God's given us wisely for his glory. So in this exploration of stewardship, we, um, especially about finances, we're going to look at three aspects of giving. Three aspects of giving. Uh, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an expression of our faith. And giving as a discipline for spiritual growth. And my hope in this is not to say you should give more. Or there's a set amount. Or I'm not going to go into that sort of thing today. But my hope is that, that we can start to uncover that, that the, the power of giving can actually uh, uh, be really transformative in our faith journey. The power of giving can be really transformative and shape us into the likeness of Christ. So this morning I'm just going to go through those three things. The action of worship, uh, the expression of faith, and the discipline of spiritual grace. The first one, giving as an action of worship. Um, Oh, jeez, I've got to get this one right. I didn't write it down. 20 Two and a, and a bit years ago, um, Solari and I got married and we went to Bali for our uh, honeymoon. And I remember we are in Bali and we went to this place called Tanalot. Now, Tanalot's a temple. There's temples all through Bali and Tanalot's a temple. We weren't that interested in the temple, but we were interested in the scenery because it's like an island temple. And when, the, um, when the, the tide is up, you can't go over to it, but when the tide is down, the people can go through it. We happened to go, um, when we were on our honeymoon, we went to this place where um, we thought it would be beautiful to see. But as we started walking down the, the, um, the, the, the road towards it, we just got engulfed by all these people. And they were all in their beautiful, um, colourful uh, dresses and, and outfits. And they were carrying these elaborate, massive, massive offerings. Like huge, like fruit and um, grains and the whole works. Everything, everything. And so as we're walking down, we actually got stuck right in between this, this <laughs> group of people. And I mean, when I say a group, this is like you're talking hundreds of people just walking and we're sort of squished in there walking with all these people and stuck as they go to make their offerings to their, I'll call it, little G God. Now, these were common people of Bali. They weren't living in luxurious houses. They weren't wealthy. They weren't in great neighbourhoods. But as they walked, we looked at what they were carrying and it was elaborate offering trays full of fruits that was going to get left behind to this innate object that they were giving to. It was a bit sad on my behalf as I thought that. But I thought as, as we think about ancient Israelite culture, before, before the temple was built, as the community gathered, they gathered around an altar. And each person they gathered, they brought an offering to God as well. So they bought the offering to God. And some people would gather and they would bring a, 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 a liquid offering and they'd pour the liquid over the altar. Some people would bring grain offerings and those grains would be lit on fire and consumed. Some people would bring animals, a bird or a little animal, and they were killed and, and slaughtered. And they're set alight and consumed by the flames as well. Whether it be the Hindus in Bali 
whether it be the ancient Jews, the basic point is that worshippers brought things that they valued to leave at the feet of the altar. And they left them there. They gave them up. They gave them away. The liquid was poured. The animals were burnt. They weren't taking them back again. People gave offerings to God as an action of worship. And those offerings were simply destroyed as an action of worship. Giving was an action, and it was an action of worship, where something that was valued to the people was given up for the glory of God. I wonder how it would be perceived if, uh, if this morning we bought the, um, all, the, all, the, all the monies that we had raised up this morning or put into the offering and put it on the front and then I got the match and sort of lit that alight. I wonder how that would be perceived. Um, it's illegal. Uh, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> but it's, it's, you get the picture, don't you? If we were to take what we gave this morning, most people inside and outside of the church would be appalled if we took it and just got rid of it. But that's what was happening in the ancient world. That was like the grain and the animals, and that was their currency. They gave their possessions away in a sacrificial action of worship to God. Now, the point of their worship was not what happened after what was ever, whatever was placed on the altar. That wasn't the point. Rather, the placing of the grain or the placing of the animal or the placing of the living, that, that signified their worship, their giving. The primary action of um, the sacrifice was to worship God. Psalm 96 verse 8 and 9 says, Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offerings and come into his courts. Now, most churches on Sunday morning probably say something along the lines of this um, as part of the worship. Um, they say, as part of our worship, we may take up our offering." And then, and I say this, I know I'm guilty of this, we'll pray that God will use what is given for the building up of the church or for the kingdom. But as much as we need to do the offering in order to do that, to make sure the bills are paid, the church bills are paid, the budgets are met, um, and if you come to the meeting to this after, after the church, you'll hear a little bit about where our budgets are at and those sort of things and setting budget for next year. They're important parts of the life of, of church. It shouldn't be our driving factor to give. It shouldn't be our driving factor. The, the offering as an action of worship should be why we give. It's where we give up something we value, so money, that's our currency, money, sacrificially to God. We place it at the altar or in the baskets as they come around, and we let it go. We come to church for the purpose of worshipping God. We sing and we say it's worship, and it is. We read the scripture and we listen to a message and we consider it worship, and it is. In Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about where we store our treasures and not to store them on earth, rather store them in heaven. And he says, where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. And as we worship on a Sunday, as we sing, as we listen, as we uh, share in communion, whatever we do, we're not just doing it as an exercise, we're doing it as an action of worship. Hope, the hope is that our heart is connected to what's going on in the service. It's not just an exercise of the brain, what we're doing here. It's not all about emotion. It's about a connection with God through it all. But often we might not connect 
with maybe a song that's sung or didn't like the lyrics or the way it was played or, uh, and our, our heart takes a back seat and our head starts to kick in. Or we listen to the word preached and we go, well, I didn't quite get much out of that or the speaker was boring this week, you didn't tell enough jokes, whatever it might be, and you, you, your heart turns off and your head kicks in. But when Jesus says where your treasure is, then your heart will be also. It might just be true that when we give in the offering, we can't give well unless our heart is in that as well. And if our heart is giving across to God, it is an action of worship. We're given the opportunity each and every Sunday to give. Not because God needs our money as such, but we give because we want to give because it's a response to in our worship. See, in church, it's the one way that you actively engage in the church service. One way that we can do it. And it's one way that can, we can express our love and devotion to God. Jesus reminds us to, to uh, look at the poor widow who put in just this little tiny amount of money in comparison to the rich man. But it was a massive amount of money for her. She gave up because she wanted to worship. Not for show, not for the accolades, not because she thought her money would make a massive dint in the, in the, um, the temple um, debt or anything like that. But she gave of her money simply because she worshipped God. Now, church offerings are important, but it's not all about raising funds. In fact, if we have that attitude to our church offerings, then we're, we won't find joy in giving. We won't find joy in giving if it's just all about giving because we want to um, make sure that we pay the bills, that the lights keep going and that. They're important. But we won't find joy. Our giving will start to become like paying your gas bill. Who's had a gas bill recently? Ooh, you don't want your gas bill. Horrible things, a gas bill. <laughs> Especially in winter if you've got ducted heating. It's like, boy, oh boy. Um, if church giving was like having to pay our gas bill, we might as well send you out the door and give you your invoice as you go by and you just pay it when you get home and we'll come back next week and do the same thing. Because that's not what it's about, is it? It's not about that. Giving is an action of worship, not just a transaction. So the Sunday offering is part of our worship service and it gives us that opportunity to express our love to God in a deep and really humbling way, really, giving up something of value for us, for the glory of God. So whilst we don't go to the temple, we don't offer our grains up or our animals or liquids or even do these sort of things, we we're still enacting that same motion, giving of value for worshipping our Lord. So it's good in theory, but what is the outcome of giving as an action of worship? Uh, there's a great book, Giving to God, by Mark Allen Pally. says this, Giving as an action of worship takes us beyond duty and into delight. Giving as an action uh, of worship takes us beyond duty to delight. There's a connection between love and giving, isn't there? We, when we find we, we love, we, we long to give to someone. That makes sort of sense. Not because we're obliged to, but because we want to. So giving flowers to your wife or is, hopefully, it should be, is an action of love. Each year, the kids get a little older. We found that out. They, they have a birthday every year. And, and, and they don't stop having birthdays. 
And I don't sit there going, well, they've gotten to 10 now, or their pastor, or choir is still in the list. We can keep giving her birthdays, but the boy's a bit older now, so we won't give him any birthday presents. It doesn't work like that. Because I love my boys, I want to shower them with gifts on their special day. If we did it just because we had to, or because culture told us that's what we've got to do, then we give meaninglessly, don't we? We don't give with anything other than just what we had to do. So likewise, giving to the church is an action of worship, an action of love towards God. It's not based around the obligation to meet the budgets, but that's necessary. It's not based around a sense of duty. It's an action of worship that moves us beyond duty and towards delight. We can find joy in giving when we give to the one that we love. Through scripture we hear again and again of when God's people are totally immersed into the goodness of God. There's this natural tendency to to give something across to God. We can think of Noah as he exits the ark. The first thing he does, he builds an altar and makes sacrifices. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he offered great sacrifices expressing his gratitude for its completion. The people who have been blessed by God wanted to worship in a way they, maybe they didn't even realize or understand, but they took something of value and they gave it to God. What did they expect back? Nothing. It was their action of worship. The Magi, they bring expensive gifts to the baby. What's the baby going to do with these expensive gifts? Um, Mary took an expensive jar of perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it after he raised her brother from the dead. These gifts are gifts of love enacted. There are others, people there would have been looking at going, why are the Magi bringing these things to this baby? Surely they could be used better elsewhere. There's a widow in Mark 12 who gives all that she has to the temple offering. And Jesus points her out as the epitome of generosity. These stories don't focus on the obligation of giving. Rather, they're all actions of worship. Mary's oil could have been useful somewhere else. The widow could have saved her money and maybe bought something a little nicer to eat or some food. But their offering was valuable because their treasures were given across. It showed that in some way God had moved them. So so as we consider what stewardship looks like for us, especially of our finances, how we give to God, the question should not start with how much do we give or what do we give to specifically. Rather, the question has to be more around, well, why do we give? Why do we give? And we give because if you've experienced the love of Jesus Christ, If you've experienced the grace that he's given you through his death and resurrection, the outflow of that will be worship. And giving is an extension of our worship. So giving is an action of worship. The second point that I want to make is that giving is an expression of our faith. Now, the word steward is, um, I sort of did a, did a bit of a, a word sort of seek. It has its origins in, in Old English and Middle English, and it comes from the combination of two Old English words. Stig, meaning house or hall, and word, W-E-A-R-D, meaning to guard or a keeper. So together they formed this word stigward, stigward. <laughs> what a funny word. But it refers to the guardian or the keeper of a house, stigward. Um, so the, the, obviously it evolved over time and transformed into this word steward, meaning someone responsible 
for managing and overseeing the affairs of a household or, or an estate. Now, we've taken it a whole lot further, and we look at more as the responsible management and care of the resources that we've been given. As, as a Christian, we say what God's given us. We are the, the stewards of that. And last week, we, if you were here, we looked at the importance of, of stewarding what God has given us in, our, uh, in the world that he's given us. You know, sometimes we steward well. Sometimes we do well with it. Sometimes we miss the mark and we don't do so well. Sometimes we steward our land well, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're ignorant and we do things that are no good. Sometimes we steward our finances and the blessing that God gives to us really well. And sometimes we don't. But the key uh, cause of why we don't steward well is because we misunderstand where ownership fits in. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells a story about a man who places tenants in charge of a vineyard. And um, they were stewards of this land. When he goes to collect the fruit uh, of the vineyards, the tenants beat and abuse the servants and sends them back empty-handed. They even kill the boss's son in an attempt to keep the vineyard as their own. The stewards think they're in charge of this land, but it's not theirs. It's an issue of ownership. Mark Allen Powell writes, Jesus indicated that a fundamental problem with humans is that they don't always recognise God is only letting them use what still belongs to God. I like that. They don't always realise God is only letting them use what still belongs to God. We're stewards of what God's given us. That's the position he's given us. We've been given dominion over creation, to care for, to nurture, and to see the continued blessing of, for all. God has made us stewards of the gospel, to the, the precious gift that we've received that we can share with others. God has chosen to appoint us as light and salt to point um, others to Jesus. We've been given the responsibility to bring love, joy, and peace to those who have no love, who lack joy and see no hope. So as we think about this in our own lives, I wonder how you feel, because it seems pretty weighty for us to be ambassadors or stewards of, of the very thing that I fall short of every day, because I'm not always a light, and I'm not always salt, and I'm not always a good steward of the gospel, a good steward of the land, or even a good steward of money. But you know what? The good news of the gospel is that God still chose you, that God chose you and me, just as we are. And whilst we need to acknowledge that we're not perfect, we're, we're not going to meet God's standard all the time. His grace is sufficient for each of us. And when we accept that, we can move on and realise that we're not owners of all of this. We're just stewards. And when we find out who the real owner is and when we're convinced of who the real owner is, well, then that sets us free. We don't need to claim ownership because the principle that comes out of it is that everything we have and everything we are belongs to God. Everything we have and everything we are belongs to God. We often say it, we give back to you what you have first given to us. We say that. But do we really realize that? 1 Chronicles 29.14, David prays this, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. 
David's giving thanks for the gifts that have been given to the temple, acknowledging that it's only because everything comes from God that we're able to give. When this building was, was built, there was pledges given by the people that were at the church at that time. And I'm sure there was great celebration. We still hear the stories. There's great celebration of how God used the finances of the people to build this wonderful building. When the, when the first um, concrete was laid, when, when this was visioned out, the same deal. It was great celebration because of what the people had given. Faith that God has made all and has given to us everything produces in us reason for good stewardship. So if we, if we believe that God has made all, we also then have to acknowledge that God has made us. We are God's creation. We're not just seeing creation. We are God's creation. And we need to understand that because when we do, we owe everything about who we are to God, not just what we've been given, but who we are. My physical body, my, my mental and emotional well-being, God gives me strength to get through every day. God gives me strength to get through a day that I don't know that I can, the power to do the things that I don't think I can. God gives us that strength. I'm created. I am part of God's creation. And creation cannot exist without a creator, can it? I'm created. God is my creator. I want to do the best to steward what God's given me. But the beauty about the story of God is that I'm not just created, but I'm also redeemed. God redeemed each and every one of us from sin and death. Created and redeemed. Why? So that we may belong to his kingdom. That we may belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Brought at a price. The highest possible price. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. His death for my life, redeemed because of the death of of his son, the free gift of belonging to God. How are we using what God's given us? So how does stewardship come into faith? Well, if we're created and if we're redeemed by God and all that that we've been given has been created and given to us, then we belong to God. We're redeemed. We're protected by God. We've been bought at a price. So God's not just going to go, I bought you, and then I'm just going to let you right in the corner. God's going to protect. So our response is to give of ourselves, every aspect of ourselves. That's why Romans 12 talks about being a living sacrifice, giving back something of value ourselves to the glory of God. I remember being asked a question as a a young Christian. I just started dating Solari, so we were um, like must have been 19. I think Solara was 18. I was 19. Um, so a long time ago. And um, we're about to go on a youth dimension. Um, we call them coffee shops. Uh, they call them Blue Moose now, if you sort of hear some of the young ones go to Blue Moose. But these summer missions. And you go to these trainings. And one of the questions was in this training, what wouldn't you give up for God? What wouldn't you give up for God? And the obvious answer was nothing. I give up everything for God. No, yeah, the obvious answer is, I give up everything. That's what the obvious answer is. But that's an easy to understand. 
I give up everything for God. But as I thought about it deeper, I thought, well, I could give up some of the things pretty easily. I could give up maybe comparing myself to others. I could give up trying to impress others or, or be someone that I'm not really. I could try I could give that up. But would I really give up this new girlfriend that I was pretty keen on? Ooh. Would I give up the car that I loved? I had this little yellow Gemini that just buzzed around everywhere. And I absolutely loved that car. And I'd heard of others that God had said, you should give your car up to, not, not me, they should give their car up to someone else. And they'd give away their car. And I'm like, that's a step of faith, but my Gemini. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I started to ask those questions and go, oh, would I give up a percentage of my wage to the church every single week. I hadn't grown up in a church culture. I, it was foreign to me when I first came to church. Would I give up possessions to give to others who had a greater need? I found those questions really confronting. Yet as I pondered my faith in God who created me, who redeemed me, who provides for me again and again and again, sometimes in the most miraculous ways, how could I not be moved to say, Yes, God, I will give these things up if you tell me to. So I remember boldly praying this prayer. I don't know how bold it was. I was probably more nervously praying this prayer. All right, God, I'm going on this mission, and it's all for you. I'm willing to give up anything for you, even if it means my girlfriend, even if it means a possession that I love dearly. I'm willing to give it up. And then I had that weight. What's God going to tell me to do? And you know what? You've probably guessed the end of the story. God didn't ask me to give up my relationship with Solari, which is really cool because now I'm married to her and we've got three kids and it's the best thing in the world. Um, But God didn't tell me to give up anything specifically. God told me I need to give my time. God nurtured me as I went through... This fly is crazy. It's big. It's going to go in my mouth. As I went through ministry and started to learn what God was calling me into, and God told me, you're to give up of yourself into ministry. You know, as I prayed that prayer, it was a scary prayer because I didn't know what God might do. But I was willing to do whatever he said. And my love for him grew stronger because of it. Acting on the faith that I had in God, in his created being, in his redemptive power, in who he says he is to, to protect, provide, and be with me, I could give up anything because I knew that he was with me. My faith dictated how I started to give. Milo Kaufman says in his book, I love that name, Milo Kaufman, how good is that? says in his book, Stewards of God, joyful people will be generous people, and generous people will be joyful people. It's difficult to say which is cause and which is effect, for either appears to reduce the other. Joyful people will be generous people. God's generosity builds joy in us, doesn't it? And when we find that joy in the Lord, we give back to God. Maybe it's our time, maybe it's our resources, maybe it is our money. And it's that revolving circle. And when we find that we give to someone else, they find joy and then they pass it on. When we faithfully believe God is our creator, redeemer and provider, the joy can be realised in our giving. The third point that we've got is giving is a discipline for spiritual growth. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, I said this earlier, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus shares this great nugget of advice through his Sermon on the Mount. Your heart will follow your treasure. It's both a warning for those who hold too tightly to their treasure, I suppose, but it's good news for those who desire to deepen their spiritual life, to, to answer the question of, what have you got before me? It helps us to grow as disciples. If you've grown up in the church or been around the church for any given amount of time, you'll likely have heard the term spiritual disciplines. They're practices that when implemented helps us to maintain a spiritual health, I suppose. Attendance at church is a good spiritual discipline. Coming each week to be sharing together as God's people, uh, even online, just to make sure we've got the discipline of being together is important. Different denominations have different varying disciplines, but most denominations would endorse some sort of scripture reading and biblical devotion and prayer. They're spiritual disciplines. But if we think of giving as a spiritual discipline or stewardship as a spiritual discipline, um, then we move away from the what do we do about it or what do we do, how much do we give, what percentages. And we start practicing giving, giving as a deepening of our faith journey. So stewardship is somewhat special in the spiritual discipline category because it connects condition of giving with the heart or the discipline with the heart. That our heart is right before God is a biblical mandate. But where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. God looked at David's heart and and said that man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Jesus in the Beatitudes tells us that blessed are those who are pure in heart. They're the ones that will see God. That's what we're looking to do, see God, to be part of God's kingdom. But our problem lies in this verse that connects treasure to the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we've probably heard it. I may have said this. I can tell you where the state of your heart is by how, what you spend your money on. I don't know if you've heard that. I can tell you where your heart is by what you spend your money on. How much do you spend on entertainment? How much do you spend on food? How much do you spend on indulgences? How much do you give to your family? How much do you give to the church? can be helpful, can be helpful, but it can be helpful, unhelpful. Because it probably ends up being a little bit backwards to the verse that we just read. It suggests that where your heart is, is where you spend your money. But the verse doesn't say that. The verse has it the other way around. Jesus says, where your treasure is, is where you put your treasure, where you spend your money. That's where your heart is leading towards. It's not about what we spend our money on that reveals uh, who we are, rather it's about where we spend our money determines the course of where we're going and the people we're becoming. Let me illustrate. Um, I've, been, I've been listening to Will Smith's autobiography recently. Now, I don't support or condone his outburst at the Oscars. I think that was no good. Um, but as I've been listening to his upbringing, been hearing, he's got, some, he's got some past issues that he's got to work through. But as he grew in stardom, and I don't know if you knew, know much about Will Smith, he, he wasn't a movie star first, or he wasn't the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in, in, the, in the TV show first. He was a rapper. He, um, he did rap music, hip-hop music, and um, he was the first uh, sort of hip-hop artist to get a Grammy Award. His first album was huge, and it did really, really well. But as he grew in stardom, it was this quick rise to stardom as a sort of a 17, 18, 19-year-old uh, man. As he grew in stardom, his music career lifted off. Things he started to put his money into actually made an impact on who he was. So he started to, he bought a mansion as a 20-year-old or so, 
And it just led to party after party, hanging out with the wrong people who had money that wanted to get more money. And pretty soon, what he put his money into, party, 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 actually led him into a pit of, um, of just despair, taking away from the thing that he was good at, the thing that he felt was right to do, the thing that he valued the most, to write music. And the album that he wrote in that space was a flop. It didn't go anywhere. What he, what he did with his excessive wealth as a 20-year-old actually impacted where he was going and what he was doing and how he was becoming. What we do with our treasure affects, affects our hearts. It determines our course a little bit. It impacts what sort of person we become. Now, that sounds like bad news, but it's actually good news, and that's good. Mark Allen Powell says we can direct where our heart is at by deciding what sort of people we want to be and then giving our treasure, our time, our talents, our money to those things that we care about. So if we care about uh, that everyone needs to have a meal in front of them at least once a day, we're going to bend down to the homeless person uh, in the streets of Melbourne uh, and give them some money to buy food or go and buy them a bag of groceries. Because our heart is moved. We want to be like that, so we'll give to that. I've got a, a beautiful story about that. Um, uh, Alan DeMond, some of you will know Alan, he's a pastor at, senior pastor at New Hope Baptist Church. We were in a retreat in the city, and we came across a man struggling to sell the big picture. You know the big picture magazine? Um, many of you will know what that is. Um, he was really struggling. He looked like he was really, really struggling. Um, and it's at Flinders Street Station. Now, if you're at the car boot sale, you'll know that I, didn't, I don't carry cash around. Never carry cash, so car boot sale was tricky. Um, but but um, Alan DeMond, he, he stopped, and he got his wallet out, and he started rummaging through his wallet. He's like, rummaging, rummaging. I'm like, how much you got in there, Alan? What's going on? And he pulls out a crisp $50 note. And he goes over to this man and he gives him the $50 note and takes his copy of the big picture. And he said afterwards, this is Alan, I always keep a note in my wallet for that occasion because you never know when someone else might need it. See, Alan knows what he wants to be and his treasure was able to give to where it was. His treasure made his heart, uh, or set his course. If you want to see mission expand in and through the world, maybe start giving to a missionary on our board uh, in, a, in, in an extra way than you might already. Or give to Baptist Mission Australia to see the, the, the projects grow. If you want to see God move in the local schools and, and through Baronia on a Wednesday night, use your time and your talents to get involved in the Two Sparrows coffee cart. Go to a barista course. You might want to do that yourself. You might want to use your money to do a barista course and say, hey, I want to sign up and be a barista for Two Sparrows and help that crew out. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus told a rich man to give his money to the poor. He prompts Lazarus to become really generous. Jesus is helping these rich men give in a way that's going to lead their heart to be changed, to, to be challenged. He knows that what these men do with their treasures now is leading them in the wrong space. So there's this connection, a connection between spirituality and stewardship. It's like someone wanting to lose some weight and they go on this great smoothie diet. They only drink smoothies, breakfast, lunch and dinner. I like smoothies, but my smoothies wouldn't be dieting smoothies. 
they have way too much yogurt and sugar and stuff. But they go on this smoothie diet. It might help a little, a smoothie diet. I don't know, have anyone ever been on a smoothie diet? It might help a little. But the question needs to be asked, is this person exercising as well? Because there's a link between healthy eating and exercise that helps to lose weight. Becoming spiritually mature doesn't just happen by doing a, a quick guide to spirituality course. It's about doing things that connect together to develop spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, coming to church. But I want to add giving into that as well. Because stewardship is much more about much, is about much more than just how we give on a Sunday morning. Stewardship is very much about how we live. So stewardship of what we've been given, it's an action of worship. It's an expression of our faith. And it's a discipline for spiritual growth. It's about how we live this spiritual life. I want to try and bring this into a practical space as well, though. But there's so much more to say, and we're not going to get there. But one thing I want to do is I want to share with you something that we're looking at doing next year. You may or may not know, um, well, we take up the offering every week, but you may or may not know that we still have a debt on this beautiful building. And the debt uh, just recently, and I think Naomi, I'm going to still Naomi's thunder today, sorry, Naomi, is that we've just put the debt come down under $500,000. So that's a massive thing. So when I got to the church, it was over $600,000. Five years later, it's, it's there, and it's great for the giving. And well done, church. But we, we know that in that debt, we're paying that off every year. That's a big amount of money that we, we need to, to pay off. And we think, well, how do we, how do we honour God into the future? What can we do to see the kingdom of God grow? And when we've got a debt like that, um, each year we spend nearly $70,000 on getting rid of that debt. Imagine the things that we can do with an extra $70,000. So, um, over this, can you imagine the, the dreams we could dream if we didn't have that over the next 15, 20 years in our pockets? So early next year, we're going to seek together to kick the, kick the debt, I think Keith called it. Kick the debt, is that right? And Keith brought uh, an idea to the, the finance team and to the leadership team to try and see how we can kick the debt. And it's a way of saying, I can pledge maybe a little bit or maybe a bit more in the, uh, next year on a weekly basis or a monthly basis to be able to pitch in an extra $5 on top of what I already give or pitch in $10 a week on what I already give. Some people might be able to afford an extra $20 a week on what I already give. That we can put straight into that, that debt, that loan, and get that debt kicked within five or so years. And start to dream about, well, what's God doing in this space that we might be able to move forward into something new, into some extraordinary new thing that God has for us. It may be that you decide that God's starting to move your heart to um, have uh, a one-off gift, and that's great as well. But at the start of next year, we're going to bring this to the church. So I wanted to bring it forward while I'm talking about finance, because maybe God's starting to, to say, well, well, how can I give as my action of worship? How can I give to help the kingdom of God grow in this area? How can I give that God might be uh, doing something beyond what I can even understand. Now, I understand as well, costs are going up. That's inevitable. Interest rates keep hiking up. But I believe that if we're to unlock the, the reason for giving 
and starts to give as an action of worship, faithfully giving and seeking God and spiritual to spiritual grow, we can see something great happen here for God. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks and praise that you are here, that you are with us, that God, that you are good. We thank you that, Lord, our giving isn't based on a, a law or a legal thing, but it's more based on how we are growing in you. Lord, I thank you for this church, a church who is faithful in their giving. I thank you that every year we give so much to missionaries beyond what we uh, set out in our budgets. I give you thanks, God, that we give uh, to one another and we serve one another food and meals when we're in need. I thank you, God, that the finances, um, even though sometimes it it can look bleak, Lord, that uh, you always get us over the line. And God, we give you thanks and praise for it. So Lord, bless us as we continue to explore ourselves what it looks like to give. Amen.